If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast all in one place. They have tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app on Apple or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Now back to the good part. Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. My name is Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. How you doing, buddy? Thursday night. Thursday night. Thursday night, man. Having a brew. I am watching the baseball game that's currently on, the Cardinals and the Padres. I'm tired. My son had baseball practice this afternoon. Hey. Didn't get home till like 7.30. And then... Chaos putting two kids to bed. So, yeah, man. The midnight tequila already. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, man, it's been a uh, it's been a good week. A little little busy, um, but nothing too crazy. I am uh, hanging here in the office watching a little Broncos Jets. Um, riveting, riveting. Um, more offense than I expected, though. More offense so far than I expected. Going into halftime now, thirty points total. So. 30 points total, and I think – I feel like the over-under line was something abysmal, wasn't it? Because those two offenses actually look pretty terrible. 40 yeah, uh, Jerry Judy has went out there and made some plays, and Broncos have looked competent, and the Jets haven't looked abysmal, so. <laughs> and they've looked so abysmal. Yeah, over-under line was 41 on that game. Yeah, so they, they might they – might, anyone that took the over, I mean, hey. Like get that way, way to go. The undersweats right now. It's the undersweats. Oh yeah, that is the best term ever because you see a game like this where like, oh, they ain't getting to forty-one, thirty. What? They're supposed yeah. to get fourth quarter. Slow down. No. Yeah, but uh, folks, big weekend ahead of college football. Schedule gets even crazier, and you know we're gonna jump right into it here tonight. Hokies. Going to go a little bit south this weekend, head down to Wallace Wade Stadium and play the Duke Blue Devils. And uh, like last week, little thing, it's know your enemy. So, Brian, start out here. Let's start with the Duke offense. Going to give some numbers. Duke offense, uh, not doing good so far this year. Only averaging 254 yards passing, 88-yard rushing. I mean, their run game is non-existent. We talk five, you know, per carry is what you want. If you're under four, four and a half, you're okay. Brian, uh, you got the beer there? Hey, what you got? Take a sip. 
and listen to this abysmal number, 2.7 yards per carry. Ouch. Not um, good. Not great, Bob. Um, leading rushers, Deion Jackson, three-star running back out of Atlanta. Um, had a lot of power five offers um, on his list per 247. He is averaging four yards a carry, which you know, that's, dude, that's not good in itself. Um, so the running game's just not been there. You know, the offensive line not played well at all. They've already given up 10 sacks through three games. It's the 55th out of 72 teams that have played. Not good. Um, they've also given up 16 tackles for loss. So you take a look at that. That means 26 times in three games that they're, they're getting down in the backfield. We're not counting pressures. We're not counting hits. 26 times that's nine times a game you know you you most times say 65 75 is your average man that's about 20 percent of the time they're getting losing yards not even counting pressures um they do have sort of a kind of an unseen star as far as their passing game goes Noah gray their tight end um out of leo minster massachusetts three star came out in 217 has definitely been their biggest go-to, so maybe so maybe they like attacking the seams, like that mismatch. And um, but but clearly, Brian, the biggest star on their team right now um, was the transfer from Clemson, Chase Bryce, three-star out of Georgia. You know, what have you seen not only from him, but kind of from this offense in general, the first three games? So you kind of talked about it with the offensive line struggles and how that's kind of trickling to other areas of the offense for Duke. Um, they've struggled against all the defensive fronts they played so far. So Notre Dame, BC, and UVA struggle mightily in the run game, mightily in the run game, um, and only really average against the uh, against the pass when they when they drop back to throw the ball. I mean, we, we've talked about it before. If you can't run the ball consistently, you don't have the uh, the play action. You've got long yarded situations where pass rushes can tee off on you because you're behind all the downs. So it, it, it trickles all the way down. And Bryce, for all of his uh, attributes, is not a guy that's going to escape the pocket and get you a first down consistently either. So that's kind of been the story. Uh, pass protection struggles. Um, they struggle mightily with blitzing and pressure. So Bryce has guys in his face a lot. <laughs> um, and, you know, you mentioned there with, uh, you know, 10 sacks, 26 knockdowns. I mean, that's, that's, that's atrocious in three, at a three game stretch. Um, oh, 20. So he's been knocked down 26 time with the 10 sacks with the, so 52, essentially 52. They're getting to, Oh, that's, that's like a quarter of the time they run a play. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Okay. Yeah, so we should have no problem taking away their run, and we should have no problem getting to them in the backfield. Um, now, what we need, do need to watch out for in their running game is that Deion Jackson, I know you mentioned him already, he can hurt us if he gets to the second level. So he's he's kind of a bigger bag, six foot 220. Um, good between the tackles can break a tackle. So if, if, if we don't tackle sound at that first level and he gets kind of to the safety level, he can do some damage because he does still have a little bit of a second gear despite that size. 
offensive line just has not done a good job establishing the run. So it's put the pressure on Bryce, who is a majority pocket passer. Yeah. And he tries to make plays with his arm a lot. Um, sometimes that's been good for them. Sometimes that has not been very good for them. Kind of got a little bit of Ryan Willis tendencies. I know that that's going to, that's going to make some hokey shake their heads a little bit. I mean, he's a guy that has arm talent, but he's also a guy that is going to take some risks because he has arm talent. Um, but what he does like to do is find his tight ends. Those that's his bread and butter. That's where he's comfortable. And that's where he's going to look, especially when he's got a man coming in his face. So that sounded wrong. <laughs> All right. He likes to hit, he, he likes to hit the tight ends on uh particularly spot route seams and digs. And he really likes the seam and he likes the spot route a lot. Um, you'll see them run the spot routes um, sometimes with like a little option for the, uh, the tight end to kind of, you know, settle in, inside or settle out depending on how the if there's a zone or a man coverage there um, but really likes to take shots up the seam uh, to the tight ends so it's going to be really important for our linebackers to get proper depth so we can close the distance between the, uh, the the backers and the safeties in those zone coverages that we're running now when he's throwing to wide receivers he prefers to go to the slot guy over the x and z um, really likes the skinny post so you know we're pretty much talking uh, almost a mirror. Usually you, you got to got the tight end running a, a seam on one side and probably slot running a skinny post on the other. Doesn't really go outside a lot uh, with the ball. I think I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a, a dig at his arm. I just think he's comfortable with his vision where he can throw to the middle of the field. So again, we've talked about the primary targets. Noah Gray um, is the guy that he looks for on some of those seams and those spot routes. Really good at finding space on the spot routes, and he can hurt you up the seam. The other guy that can hurt you up the seam is Jake Marweed. Um, not not as not as good against the uh, the spot route as Gray, but he's a guy that uh, if you looked at the UVA game, he's the guy that had the long touchdown. Yeah. Uh, I think it was either late first or early second quarter uh, for them when they took the 10, got, got to 10. So, um, you know, look out for, for those two there. But the biggest thing is that, uh, you know, like I said, Bryce has kind of that hero syndrome that gets him into trouble. Um, and that's been, again, a byproduct of the bad offensive line play when, you know, especially when teams bring more than four, um, he's got guys in his lap and he, takes chances with the football. He's not a guy that you're going to design run plays around. Um, I've seen them use some short yardage packages where they'll kind of run him up the gut just to get the first down, but um, there's not going to be any design runs or QB sweeps. Um, and he's not really a scrambler. He'll occasionally maybe take off to try to get a first down on a short yardage, but he's not someone that's going to get you 10 or 15 yards uh, on a scramble. So unless it's wide open. But, uh, you know, we get here, we're talking about Bryce and, and what he's lived and died by is, is slinging the ball, and he's he's had some turnovers, man. Tell us about some of those turnovers. Um, some turnovers, it's right now Duke's turnover, it's, it's terrible. I mean, it, the way that they're turning over the ball, Brian, and the rate they're turning over, um, A, it's amazing that they were in the Notre Dame game, and it's amazing they were leading UVA after three quarters. Seven interceptions, 
seven fumbles. So 14 total turnovers in three games. That's, that's damn near five a game. They've only forced four interceptions and one forced fumble. So it a mi- minus nine differential in the turnover, that's just not good. And with a team of their talent level, I mean, they're they're not going to win games turning the ball over that much. I mean, they need to, you know, we, we started looking back, you know, back and forth kind of like, okay, well, let's look at some of these games and, you know, where did they do good? And, you know, you mentioned Marwad. He's had two catches all year. One was that big 55 down the scene for a touchdown. Yep. That's great, but when you're turning the ball over that much and – one of your better, more athletic tight ends only has that one big catch. I don't know if he's not seeing the field or what, but as we look like at the the Notre Dame game, you watched a lot of that game earlier this season, and I apparently got it because we had stuff going on. But me and you talked about it after the game. They could have won that game. They had a couple untimely turnovers. That was a minus one game. They lost by 14 points. Yeah, I, don't, I I think you know anything you you see from that game that translates to our game this week. Well, I think there there's there's a few things. So number one, um, you saw a Notre Dame team that came out and played okay on offense, but yeah. probably wasn't firing on all cylinders. No, not um, all. Especially with some of the communication between Book and the wide receivers, um, yeah, they didn't do a, a great job of consistently. Um, moving the ball downfield on third down and things like that. So I think they could get better at that. But what I did see in that game was Notre Dame's ability to get after the Duke offense and really throw them off. We, we saw it. They, they, even when they didn't turn the ball over significantly, Duke still had to get short field a couple times in order to get some of those scores. So I think, Duke is still going to struggle struggle moving the ball consistently because of those shortcomings, even when, you know, they're pretty even on those turnover battles. So I still like our chances, even if we're not forcing, you know, three to five turnovers like Duke's had the last couple games. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, and, and I mean, three to five and go five to seven because the BC game, they have five turnovers where essentially they throw two picks, fumble three more. And that game was just a blowout. It was 26-20. And, you know, or excuse me, 26-6. So a 20 win yep. for BC. And it's one of those things where it's like, again, you see it. And it's, as you go back and you start looking and saying, you know, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't, their defense played okay. But you just, I mean, five turnovers? You know, I think for us, and it's going to be, it's going to be, um, one of the things we can see, but if they turn the ball over, if we win the, the turnover battle plus one this weekend, we're going to easily cover the spread. I don't doubt that one bit. Yeah. Now, the UVA game to me is a little different because going up to the third quarter, and I don't know if it says about UVA or if it says about Duke, you mentioned they had seven. Did you go into the third quarter, they turned it over four times. Duke turned it over three. They were winning that game with a plus one turnover differential. Yeah. Similar to the Notre Dame game. And I think it's something we can look at and say Notre Dame talent level, UVA talent level. You give them a plus in the, in the turnover margins. 
they can either be leading you or potentially right in the ball game. Yeah. Now, what they did in the third quarter was just, you know, hey, let's do something really stupid, Brian. I know that play just irked the crap out of you, but go ahead and mention, like, they're driving, and all of a sudden, what did they decide to do? Are we talking about the Calhoun pick? Let's run a wide receiver uh, throwback pass, and then the, the wide receiver decide, hey, the throwback's not there. I'm going to throw across my body to the guy that's not open, um, short arm it, and just end up giving UVA the ball on their own 10-yard line when they were already in field goal range, up three. Yeah, like it just it, it was a bonehead play by Calhoun. I, mean, I know he got uh, the, the the bad end of a pretty big hit as he was letting the ball go. But that's one you either just got to eat or try to get the, get it out of bounds and and, uh, and throw it away, man. You can't take a risk with the ball up three against a, an opponent that on paper is better than you um, playing at their place. Like it just there's so many factors there that you just don't you don't make that type of play. And I mean, that's, it's kind of indicative of some of the other just general carelessness with the ball that Duke has shown. I mean, they've had, let's talk about the ways that they've (laughs) turned the ball over. All right. So they've had a special teams turnover. They've had a fumble by a wide receiver. They've had a wide receiver throw an interception. They've had a quarterback throw an interception. They've had a fumble on a run play. They've had strip sacks like they're other than having a defensive turnover that on the same play, the defense gives the ball back. That's the only way that Duke has not turned the ball over at this point. So so basically what you're saying is Duke is essentially showing us how to create a defense's highlight film as we're going into next season. All the ways are turning the damn ball. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know another, like, like I said, other than their own defense giving the ball back after they take a pick or a fumble recovery, I don't know another way for them to turn the ball over. Um, and, and, and Bryce has been bad at times too. I mean, sometimes he's thrown late and got, got undercut on, on throwing some of those seams. Sometimes he's just had a guy in his lap and chucked it uh, to one of those spot routes that somebody's already, you know, playing pretty tight coverage on. I mean, it, it, it's hero ball sometimes. And, and like I said, just a general carelessness with the football. And it's bad because it's even worse when it's crunch time. Like they get worse the well, more it matters. Well, the Calhoun pick at that point in time, the turnover differential was 3 3. This was late third quarter. They were yeah. up points already. They're already in field. They could have put that game at 10 and essentially probably set on the ball and essentially gave the Wahoos a. Uh, Ugly, 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 ugly loss. But they didn't. So, I mean, for us, I think the way we look at those three games is say, if we win it, if we win the turnover battle big, it's going to be ugly. Yeah. If we win it by one, and I'm digging the UVA game up to the third quarter, they can be competitive. They could be in it. I don't. I think we have more talent than UVA. I think we have a better team than UVA. And then I look at the Notre Dame game. We're somewhere between the end of that three and that 14 if, if it's a one turnover game. Yeah. That's my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. Sorry for the kind of brief silence and delay there, folks. Um, watching the Padres game, Machado jacks one to take, to tie the game up. And when, like, it was one of those things I'm watching it and he swings and it's one of those swings and you're like, that's a home run. That's gone. That's gone. So it's going to distract me real live podcasting here folks 
right, Brian. So obviously, we look at their offense. They have their woes. Um, the defensive side of the ball, not too, too much better, Brian. I mean, we kind of look at it here. Um, you know, giving up over 30 points per game, 425 yards per game overall, 250 on the air, 150 on the ground, 60% completion ratio. Um, run game a little bit better at 3.7 per carry. So definitely, you know, not hemorrhaging in a run game. I do think this will be the best, the way our guys played last week, this will be the best offensive line they've seen at run blocking. No knock on Notre Dame. I just think that first game was really rusty for them. Yeah. Um, but essentially 5.7 yards per play. Now, one stat that kind of sticks out that they're pretty good at is third down stops. They're at 38%. So that's a pretty good third down stop um, percentage, basically, you know, keeping teams from converting, you know, basically eh, roughly, you know, three or five times. Now, they have eight tackles for loss, um, which is not good. That is 66 out of the 72 teams that played. But as good as that third down percentage, Ryan, is, you feel like that's yeah, good. How many first downs do you think they've given up in three games? Uh you know, they're holding teams on third down. So my average per game or total? Total. Let's go total. Because we can do the math. Uh, let's see. I, I think they've got maybe, you know, let's say 50. Uh, Brian, you're, you, this, if this was prices right, you'd be way off. There are 69 first downs. Oh. 23 average. So third down's great. Teams ain't getting the third down. They're literally getting there in one or two downs, so they don't get the job done. Now, this week, Brian, some news broke that they are going to be without a couple of their top defensive backs. And now, Brian, as you started looking at some tape, what are you seeing? Like, you know, they, they're clearly giving up points, but they're also having to deal with turnover. But what are you seeing um, that they have to do? So they're not great up front, but they are pretty gap sound, and they do a good job of getting where they need to be on the defensive front. Um, they like to bring pressure on passing downs. They don't do a good job of getting pressure with just four. Okay. Um, usually have to bring an extra man to get some really good push. Um, they're not that impressive in the secondary. I think we're going to see even even less of that with the with the guys out. So. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what we end up um, getting from them. But, I mean, I definitely think that we have um, an opportunity to make some plays. Um, they do also do a good job of, uh, like, stunning against the run, so creating some confusion um, with the offensive linemen. But, you know, we saw against NC State that our, our guys did a pretty good job of picking that up, so hopefully that's going to continue. And they do the same in the passing game. They really want to try to – get pressure by confusing the offensive line versus just lining up and, and out muscling you or, or, or throwing a speed rush at you. There's really only one guy that can hurt you from that perspective. Yeah. And you mentioned it because about that line and the stuff they have to do to confuse, because by all means you're telling me right there with what I, what me and you talked about, the interior of their line is very weak, but the outside is damn good. It's definitely the strongest part of their line. Um, yeah. You know, the total line has had 10 sacks in three games, led by the preseason All-American Criff run, three-star out of Florida. Um, you know, he has 16 tackles, one sack. 
Um, <clears throat> Victor Demukeji, if I screwed that up, I'm sorry. Um, the three-star out of Charm City, I, believe it or not, he had a ton of 38 total offers. A lot of D1 teams were after him. He so far has been really their star on as a, you know, the team as a whole. Eight yeah. tackles, one and a half tackles for loss, four sacks. So he, him and Bronf basically making up half their sack total there. I mean, those guys are good. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, it's kind of a bright spot for them. But, Brian, what are you seeing maybe what we can do? Obviously, you mentioned the stunts and stuff. Clearly, they have to do that, probably being the weakness on the inside by trying to confuse, especially with two good defensive ends. But what else are they going to have to do? Yeah, so, I mean, you said it right there. Victor DiBocchese, um and, and Chris Rumpf are kind of their, their two guys. Um, Rumpfmore, the pass rush specialist, even though he has fewer sacks right now, he is um, the guy that's going to bring that, that speed rush pressure off the edge. Um, DiBocchese, more of a... Uh, Three down player, um, good against the run, can pass rush. Um, he's probably the guy that you're gonna probably game plan a little bit more around just because you're gonna see him on a lot more snaps. Um, but Rumpf is a guy that can really hurt you in one play, kind of get that speed rush and, uh, you know, throw you for a big loss, potentially get a, a sack fumble and, and things like that. So both of them are guys to watch. Um, but neutralizing them, I think we're just going to keep doing what we did against NC State with a lot of inside run, man. Um, UVA did a good job with that, uh, working against uh, Duke's interior. Um, formed them up. It, it kind of was a uh, little bit of a death by a thousand cuts. They had to get some yards here, yards there. But as the game wore on, Talapapa started to find some some holes in that defense and was able to get some chunk yardage. And that's when they started to pour on the the points there in the fourth quarter. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot more of that. And then I think we're going to see some, some more of getting our running backs involved in the passing game, whether it's the screen game, some short passes, some, some flare outs. I mean, things like that we saw against Notre Dame Duke struggled tackling those guys in space. Kyron Williams tore them up. In the passing game, he had he had two catches. Um, one of them got went for big yardage, and uh, and Chris Tyree also uh, had some good touches in that game as well. He ended up with some you know, decent passing yards numbers and had some good uh, good runs outside the tackles as well. So I think there's there's a lot of different ways we can attack them um, from an offensive perspective, trying to uh, get some points on them. But I look for us to start with the run game. Okay. establish that and then you know work early downs play action and then late downs with some blitz beaters so that we can get the ball out of our the quarterback's hands let the receivers make some plays let the running backs make some plays in the screen game all right let me ask this brian and since i'm watching baseball tonight i'll put this analogy to slow down our offense are yep. they going to have to pitch a perfect game pretty much i think um I, th- I think they've got some a little bit of wiggle room, but not a lot. Um, <laughs> like that, for example, they can afford maybe maybe one turnover. <laughs> one turnover, maybe. Um, I, I just think that we're going to be able to. I think we're going to protect the ball. Number one and number two. I think we're going to do a good job of 
a, maintaining drives, getting points consistently and things like that. And that's something that they don't do well. And so I think even if we don't jump out and, you know, beat the brakes off of them in the first quarter, like we did in NC state, I think we're still going to pull away late. Um, and with a similar type of, uh, point differential at the end of the game. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, the shades of maybe your prediction. Maybe, maybe. All right. Well, let's jump. We've discussed Duke. We've hit their offense, their defense. Let's hit the pivotal players for the Hokies. Um, and, Brian, let's go kind of number one, I feel, is going to be strong safety boundary, Savvy Rofter. A, with Kianta and JR, a couple other guys filling that spot, a lot of inexperience there. Um, but you mentioned it earlier, and I want you to say it again for the folks. I think – it's important to know why those two guys are so important on this defense is because of the tight ends. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about the tight ends and, and what they like to run. So they like to run a lot of um, spot routes, seams and digs. And that thing that those are things that are going to put some weight on those safeties to make tackles, to make sure that they are in the right position in zone coverage. And so guys like Keontae Jenkins, uh, Divine Diablo, um, even Lakeem Rudolph might see some see some time in this game. Um, yeah, the other the other true yeah the other the other true freshman yeah so um, there's a lot of guys Tyree Rogers could see some time in this game as well so um, anybody that's going to be lining up in that safety area is going to be someone that's going to need to make some plays in this game because that's where they like to attack um, kind of in that 15 to 20 yard range. Um, up the field in the, in the middle of the field there, whether it's, you know, digs seams and then underneath the linebackers with the, uh, with the spot routes. So safety play is going to definitely be important, especially in the, in the past game. Kind of funny. We, 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 we start talking about it. Me and you put them one, two, and we just blend them together because the safeties are going to be important for what they like to do for them to have any semblance of a chance. Um, you know, a, they're going to have to attack that, and, B, I think we're going to have to play really bad, like really bad at those positions to do it. Now, Brian, you put this guy on here. You said he had to be on here. Who's the other key for the defense based on what Duke looks like on their offensive line? Uh, Justice Reed, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and, and we could easily say here the entire defensive line, but I'm going to single out uh, Justice Reed not only because of what I saw him do against NC state, but because I think what he did against NC state is going to be exactly what is going to be great against Duke. And that's bull rush, put guys in the lap of chase Bryce and make him throw when he's not ready or off his back foot, because he will make those throws. He will not make the smart play and take the sack or throw it out of bounds. He (laughs) will try to get the ball in there. So I think, I think justice Reed is going to have a big game. And if he's not, directly creating turnovers and sacks, he's going to be forcing maybe one or two. The other big thing about that to Justice Reed and you're talking about, you know, how good he is, is that they're two, you know, obviously their leading receiver is a tight end. The guy who showed last week and he break big plays are tight ends. So if nothing else that maybe the two positions we feel are very important are going to kind of essentially help each other because if Justice, the first couple drives, is eating their tackles alive, I have a feeling those two tight ends are going to have to stay in and chip, and maybe even maybe even just say, "Hey, listen, we're we're, we're not going to do it because 
he's going to get you the quarterback either way. Maybe we can try to find something else. So it's funny because you look at it and it's kind of saying, if we do this, it's going to help these guys out because it takes away their best weapon. Yeah. All yeah, right. and, and that's that's going to be big for us, I think. If, if we can make them have to adjust what they do best, that's going to create even more problems, I think. I mean, that, of course, the adjustments are needed because we're taking away their best option, but now they're moving away from their best option, and I don't I don't think any team really wants to do that either. Yeah. So it's going to be the uh, going to be sort of a coin flip for them, right? Yeah, yeah pick your poison. <laughs> Uh, let's see. We can let our quarterback get murdered by this guy, or we can help them and then leave our best weapons on the line of scrimmage. Just not great. Not great for them at all. All right, let's flip over to the offensive side, Brian. Who you got as our number one pivotal players? Uh, I think we've already kind of talked about them a little bit, but it's going to be the running backs again. Um, it's going to be what uh, what Herbert and Blackshear can do in the run game. Um, if, if we're able to get a consistent run game against them, get, you know, one guy above a hundred, maybe get, at least get our, our, our total uh, team above 200, they're going to struggle, man, because that means we're possessing the ball. We're, we're moving it up and down the field on them. Um, you know, as long as we're coming away with points on, on those drives, I feel confident that, uh, that, that we're going to be able to take care of uh, take care of Duke and we can establish that run well. Herbert between the tackles, Blackshear outside, um, Blackshear in the passing game, Herbert in the passing game and in the screen game. I just think that those two are going to be the most important element to, for us to get a, a big victory against Duke. Um, if I had to go with some other guys, I'd, I'd probably say our tackles. So we got Darisaw and Tenuta here. Um their defense, their best players are going to play that defensive end position. So if we can stop those guys out, especially if we don't have to chip or uh, or anything, just have our, our our best tackles out there one on one. You know that's going to be big for us and uh, keep some of that pressure from getting in. You know if they don't bring uh they bring more than four, if we can pick up the the, the rush ends. Hopefully our interior guys can um, pick up those blitzes. Well, the big piece, uh, and we'll go back to the Blackshear and Herbert first. We find out Blackshear was literally cleared Friday. He had one day of practice. Yeah. And, and, and I know probably it disappointed you some of that. Like me and you kind of, you know, hinted at it a little on Saturday, but they got him out there because let's get him out there and play. He's a weapon. He had the touchdown carry. He had some other, a few other carries. But he had one day of practice, and that's essentially why we didn't see him in the second half. Yeah. Your point with Danuta and Darisol. And to what you said earlier about them having to bring the extra pressure, if Tanuta and Darisol hold up their two best defensive rush ends and they have to bring extra pressure, I feel confident with our third guys on this list, the quarterbacks, they are not only going to find the open man, they are going to find the open men for big games. Yeah. If they don't do that, I have a feeling – that one of our quarterbacks is going to break 40 plus yard run. Because I definitely agree with that. Um, you know, we, we haven't heard whether it's going to be Burmeister starting or if it's going to be Hendon Hooker. Oh, um, he could start. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> all, all three could potentially start. I think, so let's say this, I think all three are going to play at least one, one snap. Yes. I mean, that I think, I think that's, 
that, that that's a very strong likelihood. Um, hopefully we see Hendon right. Hooker as the starter and let Burmeister come in and, and do his thing. Um, and then get QP in there for some of the short yardage things. I liked a lot of what uh, Burmeister was able to do, especially in the run game. Oh, yeah. And I like that he's a weapon that, you know, when he comes, if he comes on the field in those roles, you know, he's probably run first, but he has such an ability with passing the ball as well that you can't say, you can't key on anything. No. Um, so you can bring him in and then, you know, like, throw a screen or, you know, throw a 10 yard out. And the next thing you know, you run a quarterback sweep and he gets 40 yards. So, I mean, there's, there's so many different things you can do with him because from a game plan perspective, he's running the same game plan that hooker would. He just has probably a couple extra run plays that you're not going to see hooker run at all, or at least not, you know, three or four times a game like you would with Burmeister. Absolutely. And, any three of those guys that start, I, I'm hoping everybody gets at least seven snaps. Um, okay. You know that that to me will say multiple series for all guys. Um, for Quincy, <clears throat> say it. If it is third and two or less, put him on the damn field, Brad Quincy. <laughs> Quincy six foot four, two hundred fifty pounds. If he runs his own read and takes it, he is going to probably it. He's going to fall for damn near five and a half feet. <sighs> yeah, a couple a couple times he was running those plays when he was in the game against NC State. Even when they had the play snuffed out, he was falling forward for two or three yards. Oh, please use him. Just please use him, man. All right, Brian. Let's, uh, let's go to some uh, little some interesting things because we know Justin Hamilton – Essentially, everything we've heard, everything we've heard, he tested positive for coronavirus. So that's Friday. On Friday. So he is out 10 days. So he will not be back this Saturday, barring something strange, unless they proved it was a false negative. Yep. So, Brian, everybody knows Tracy Clays is back. Daryl Tapp's also back. Daryl, apparently how he tested, he was quarantined to a booth. I don't know if this was... If he was like, if he hit day 14 and they let him be in there, but they wouldn't let him on the field. something. Yeah, like it, it was weird. They said, you know, he wasn't listed as a coach that was out of the game, but he also wasn't on the sideline, which is which is his usual position. Yeah. So Tracy Clays is back. Ron Smith called the game last week. This is the debate that me and you got into and some other folks. Who should call the – who should call – the game this week, Brian, from the defensive side of the ball. Who should or who will? <laughs> All right. Because I, I, there, I think oh, there's, oh. there's schools of thought here as far as who will, and then there is my opinion of who should. Okay. And, I, and, and that may be different. <laughs> All right. So for you, how about this? I'm going to tell you who – I'm going to give you my opinion. Okay. Tell me if it's your head or if it's your heart. Okay. I think you keep Ryan Smith in there. I think you let Ryan Smith call one more game at it. And it's not that Tracy's not back and Tracy's not a good play caller, but I think you need to get Tracy more acclimated to being ready on the sidelines. Tracy did not get to go through that last week. If, you know, if Tracy had been leading up, calling the game all week, maybe. 
get Tracy acclimated to the sidelines. We did not have a linebackers coach last week. Let him get prepped for that. Let Ron, he did a very good job. My opinion, J.M. still probably, along with the staff, putting what they want to do together. Um, and then th- that's my opinion. I think you keep Ron. So for okay. you, what, is that the head or the heart? I think that is the head. Okay. Because I think the smart play is that everything we were told was that when they were practicing for backup play caller, which to me says the guy that calls the plays if the primary play caller is not available, that guy was Ryan Smith going into that game. And that tells me that I don't think that will change. I don't think they make the adjustment to move those duties over to Tracy Clays just because Tracy Clays is now available. Um, Although Tracy's track record is damn good. (laughs) Tracy has a very good track record. I will agree. Tracy has called plays for some good defenses, especially the defenses that he had um, up in Minnesota. And he had some damn good, uh, damn good start with uh with wazoo before year two when things kind of fell out between him and mike leach yeah that 2018 defense at wazoo was really damn good for wazoo and being on the other side of an air raid offense yeah so i, I don't i think it's a it's a win-win whoever calls it um because I, I say you keep ron because you keep the the keep the same until ham gets back but on the other hand if Ham's back next week, Brian, and now I'm contradicting myself here, but, you know, Thursday night, my tall boy's gone. <laughs> uh, thank God the Cardinals are losing right now. But Ryan Smith, once Ham gets back, he will be in the he will be up in the booth where most either whether they're the safeties or the defensive back or the cornerback coaches is going to be. Yep. You, you know that. From I'm sure your guys at Sydney, there was always probably a defensive back coach in the booth just to see how everything's looking from above because they need a wider view of the field. Yep. So I, I think we're I don't I, I think we're win-win either way. Okay. All right. But we agree that we we think Smith will be calling. We'll, we'll know we'll know pretty quick, won't we? If they show a sideline shot and you don't see Ryan Smith down there, Tracy's calling plays. Yep. They really. Do a curveball and Ryan's calling place in Booth. <laughs> that would be different. That would be uh, something we haven't seen very often. Not at all. <laughs> um, Brian, who got the 25 this week? Brian Johnson got the 25, man. Kicker. Well, after his performance last week, drilling two plus 45-yard field goals that would have been good from 60, <laughs> say you deserve yeah, he, he, he put uh, he put some leg into those, especially considering you had a backup long snapper. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of factors that go into a good kick, and I mean, he was able to make it work and make it work at a high level, man. Absolutely, and, and great giving him that 25. The other good part, and you talk about him, if you look at him this year, he looks bigger. And going back to him and Oscar's um, little this is home hard hat series, hard hat series. Sorry. <laughs> that was seven months ago and the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but they talked about themselves about they don't want to be known as specialists. They want to be known as football players and how they bust their asses in the weight room to get to that level. And I think you've seen it from him from coming in. Um, 
and taking over last year, his he's he's kicked it further and further and further, um, which is awesome. So really good for him getting that twenty five. Um, let's hope he doesn't have to kick anything but extra points this weekend, though, Brian. And uh, let's get to our predictions. You want me to lead off, buddy? You lead. All right. I've been throwing this around several different ways and just trying to figure out where I wanted to go with it. But I have settled on 42 to 20. Ooh, okay. Virginia Tech, obviously. Virginia Tech, obviously. We cover the spread, obviously. Um, do you think it's a, like a, a, a boa constrictor type game, or is this going to be like an NC State? The first three rounds, we knocked their asses down three times, and they essentially get a few pointers back in because of, um, you know, us playing power Matheny's of the world and walk-ons and getting everybody a chance to shine. I think we put 10 on them early and then I think we kind of trade for a little bit and then pull away at the end. Okay. So 10 early trade some touchdowns, trade some field goals, probably somewhere around 28 or 31 to, uh, 17, and then we kind of take over from there and, and close it out. They might get a field goal late to make, get to the 20. Yeah. Me and your ear were close on this one. Um, last week we were pretty close, too. You had it as a seven-point game. I had it as a four-point game. Um, I'm going 41-24. Um, and, and, but I think it's going to be different. I think our offensive line is going to come out and mash them early. I think we're going to walk into a locker room. <clears throat> At um somewhere, you know, twenty four to twenty eight, um to like seven, and just kind of grind out the second half, make them do stuff. Now I'll say this: if that if, if what I think is going to happen in the first half happens, and they start getting loose with the ball, it could be a fifty burger. Because if they get done with the ball and not essentially play for play for getting guys experience, play for getting confidence built up. They start playing it. We start picking it. Big, big, big uh, out. Uh, the- yeah, I, I could definitely see that. I could definitely see us. If if there's a bunch of turnovers like we've seen, I could definitely see us blowing this thing up pretty big. But yeah. I think that they're going to, after having two like that, I don't, I don't think they give us five after having back-to-back games of giving five. But if if they if they're at two or three, then I think we're still gonna be where we want to be. I think if they give us two or three and we don't give them, we give them zero to one. Yeah, I, I would like to up mine to fifty one twenty four. I try to go and I try to make a prediction. I try to say if this game is clean cut as possible, this is what I think is going to happen. The line I think is between eleven and twelve. I think we're seventeen points better than them if there's no turnovers at all. That's just the way I feel. I don't know if you try to think about turnovers and stuff. And um, if you do, that's great. I, I, that's just philosophy is how you make predictions. So um, the Padres hit another two home runs and now lead by six. I think we're both happy the Cardinals are losing. Oh, yeah. I, a Braves fan, I hate the Cardinals in the playoffs. Get them the fuck out of there. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> hey, 
F balls. Drop them. All right. Ron, got our predictions in. We got our game under it. Now, let's do a quick shot of what happened in the other games around the ACC this week. Let's start with where game day was, the Saturday night ABC game, which really wasn't a game. I mean, Jesus, Lord, have mercy on <laughs> What the hell was that? Um, That was a team that had essentially been dumped on by its old head coach. And I'm not talking Willie Taggart. I'm talking Jimbo Fisher. Um, That was brutal. 52-10. That's not Florida State, Miami, that we grew up with. That's not what we've seen the last decade. Um, And and for us, we're trying to scout Miami and trying to get stuff on Miami. It sucks that was the same time, so we couldn't focus on it as much. But I couldn't tell you. Florida State has, like, quit, so – I couldn't tell you if if Miami is the U is back or now that you just played a really shitty team and they yeah. did good teams do the shitty team. Put it this way. Florida State's so bad, I, I completely miscalculated how bad GT still is. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> Although, speaking of that, you had a good week other than that one game. <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. All right, well, let's hit up a couple of the other ones here, Brian. Um, we talked about the next one a good deal already. We did. Um, but let's look at it a little bit more from a UVA side because we deep-dived into the Duke side. And my biggest takeaway is this. You were essentially even turnover margin with Duke in the third quarter, and you were down. Yep. They better be worried. And in that case, people say the defense played great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, you're not going to force seven turnovers most games. Um, and you still gave up 20 to them. I, now, I will say to their credit, they got a short field. Duke got a short field two times. Uh, one off of a um, kickoff fumble to open the game by UVA. Okay. And then another, um, I, th- I can't remember if it, was a, if it was a fumble or a interception. I think it was an interception thrown by Armstrong um, okay. towards the sideline. And that, that set them up with like from like the 24, 25 yard line. So they had short fields twice, got 10 points out of it. That had something to do with it. But I mean, we saw, we talked about it earlier with Calhoun throwing the pick when they were driving up, up three. So. You know, I, I'm not saying that UVA is a bad team. Definitely not a bad team. They've got a a, a pretty good offensive line, even though it's thin. Um, they have a really good defense, and they've got a quarterback that is still undetermined. Um, I'm not going to say I, I haven't. I didn't see anything from him in that game that scares me, but I did see a guy that he commanded the offense well, but he did also make some mistakes. Hi, right, Brian. You mentioned their two short fields. They also had a short field in the fourth quarter. They also had at the 50-yard line in the fourth quarter. Oh, yeah, yeah. UVA definitely had a well, bunch of good – They had damn good field position, too. So, yeah. um, I was just saying, you know, you said they got 20 on that defense. Yeah, but 10 was ten really was, short field. Yeah. But on the other hand, I'm sitting here saying, well, how many points did UVA's offense, which is kind of the unknown with them, how many did they get off of seven turnovers? Yeah. Um, shout out! I was I, I will say shout out to their very tall, um, definitely not the next Randy Moss, um, but yeah. very good player Lavelle Davis. Um, he had a he had a good game. Um, kind of probably the guy that's going to emerge as the number two target in their offense behind uh, Jana. So 
Um, that's going to be a guy to look out for going forward. Um, skinny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to dig at them all I can. Um, but also, <laughs> I think he had a lot of his catches were late in the fourth quarter on those kind of those turnover drives too. So, um, where was he in the other earlier parts of the game? True. You know, did they, were they afraid to use him? Were they afraid to hide him? Um, I think, I, I don't know if this weekend we're going to know a lot about UVA. We'll, we'll discuss that a little later, but it's, um, it's going to depend on how close that game is. If that game is close, I think we learned something about UVA. If that game is a blowout, I don't think we really have anything we can take away from it. So, and more than likely it's going to be a blowout. And we'll get to that as we move along here. Um, the other game, good game, Louisville Pitt. Yeah. What did we learn about Kenny Pickett? Um, he is still struggling to win games. He he won. They they won the game. They won the game. They they he's he's not gonna he's he's still a quarterback that's not gonna hurt you too much, but he's also not gonna go out there and win anything for you and. As bad as Louisville played in pretty much every phase of that game, especially on defense. Oh gosh, and yeah. Like that—that that shouldn't have been a a game. It should have at least been a ten-point game, if not more. Um, Pitt's defense, especially their front, they're like they—you know—they definitely miss the some man. of their offensive linemen that, that that they lost in the draft there because. They could not hold up from an offensive line perspective against that Pitt front, and I know Pitt was good, but I think Louisville's offensive line is so so bad um, that they really couldn't get some of those uh, typical big plays down the field and in in the outside rush game that you see them take advantage of. Yeah, again, I think with those two teams, what we've seen on tape so far, and if we're completely healthy, I think those games. Those are the ones I'm starting to put to the side and say we we, we play with we play who we are. We're, we should win those games. Yeah, because of what I'm seeing from them, unless they have massive drastic turnarounds. For those, yeah, I'll say those games have went from what I considered toss ups at the beginning yeah. of the season to kind of if if the line was at least like four four and a half, I'd take you like just. Bet the legal limit on the Hokies to win those games easily. Yeah, Pitt, Kenny Pickett ain't it. Their defense is good, not great. Louisville, the offensive line, just it's bad. And that defense is should be shredded cheese against any capable offense. Absolutely. All right, last time, last one. How do you feel about the BC game now after their last second field goal against Texas State? It tells me that BC beat Duke primarily on the strength of turnovers and not much else. Very true, man. I mean, it was, you know, they go down, they struggle, they're 2-0, and but just kind of looking – that, that one game is just – it ain't what it is, man. I mean – you know, I'm, I'm sitting here just kind of going through some of the stuff we looked at, and it's like they ran the ball 27 times, and they ran the ball 27 times for 193 yards. Excuse me, for 87 yards. That's not four yards to carry. That's not BC. Under 200 yards passing. I mean, you take a look at it, they probably should have lost that game, but they didn't. So Yeah. 
Um, well, it took a little, what, a, what a late drive to kind of put it away there. It took, it literally took a, it took a touchdown under two minutes and a last second field goal to win that game. And Texas state is a one in three team with losses. Lost SMU by touchdown, uh, UT San Antonio by three, which that game was insane. I remember watching that here, and they lost to Louisiana Monroe by 21. So, yeah, I feel better about the uh, BC game now. Yeah. Yeah, and like I said, I think the BC game against Texas State tells us a little bit about BC, and it tells us a little bit more about Duke and and, and what they present yeah. coming into this game. I mean – if we can get the turnovers like they like they had again, like and I don't think we even need five, but if we can just get them to turn the ball over some, I think we're going to be able to handle Duke pretty well. Absolutely. All right. Well, Brian, we have some predictions and some picks to make here, but let's do a little reverse. Let's look at last week. Brian, what'd I say? One game got you. One yeah. game got you. Brian, five and one last week. I was 500, so I don't know. Didn't lose any money. We are both 10 wins, 7 losses. So if anybody out there was brave enough <laughs> to put money on our picks from week one to week three, we would have both made you money. Yeah, so, there we go. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm taking a look here. Yeah, we're, we're, what are we? 10 wins over 7? I, I would have made you curse if you did a 16 parlay. Oh, no. <laughs> Well, that's why you don't do parlays. We're running <laughs> about a 50% clip. So now this week we are putting out here three ACC games, and we're mixing it up, and we're going five out-of-conference games this week because, um, like, Florida State plays Jacksonville State. Wake plays Campbell. We're, we're not going to – I don't even know if there's lines on those games. So <laughs> – Let's start it off, Brian. Somebody's betting on it, man. Somebody is. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Somebody's betting on it. But uh, let's get this. Let's start. NC State Pitt. Um, Pitt is laying 13 and a half points to NC State. Brian, I'm going to lead with this one. Um, Give me Pins. Give me NC State. Give me 13 and a half points against Pitt. I'm right there with you. And I'll tell you this. I don't think Pitt is beating any ACC team by 14 points this season. No. If they couldn't beat Syracuse, well, they beat Syracuse by 11. Yeah. No, they're, they're, they're not going to win it. And I know a lot of the stuff that NC State does plays into the strengths. I think Leary will start this weekend for them. And I, I just, but I can't see 14 and a half. Just, I, I don't think me and you can see Kenny Pickett getting them there. Oh, man. All right. <laughs> Second one, a little more interesting. Brian, Boston College, North Carolina, North Carolina laying the 13 and a half. What you got? Uh, all right. Give me UNC. <laughs> I, have, I have no faith in BC anymore, especially if they can't run the ball. I, I'm I'm with you on this one too. Um, uh, yeah, BC that Texas State game told a lot that if they can't force a, a bloatload of turnovers, they're going to be in the struggle bus. Um, now UNC hadn't played in a couple weeks, so that might be. But 
I'm also hoping that UNC gets full of themselves by beating BC 35-14, and we walk into week three with them in their head in the clouds, don't know the thunders are about to be brought. All right, Brian. I'm going to let you lead this one, too. Okay. You be laying 29. (laughs) Man, you know what? Give me UVA and the points. Okay. I think it's going to be just under that. I think I think it's going to be like 24, 20, 27 points. So I think it's going to be just under that line. All right. So Brian's taking UVA here. Are, are you thinking that Clemson's just going to turn off the uh, the the uh, supercharged team and let UVA sneak it in? I think uh, so. What I think is that UVA is a even though they're not as I think top end good. I think they're a little deeper than they were last year, especially when they played Clemson. Um, so I foresee kind of a almost every time Clemson gets two scores, you're going to match that with a UVA score. So it's going to kind of come out in the end somewhere between three and four scores. And I'm going to just take, yeah, I'm going to say it's going to be just under four scores. So, Okay. Just under four scores. In the words of Lee Corso, not too fast, my friend. <laughs> and this is why I really am feeling the 28. Okay. 29. You found it, um, for me at least, uh, at a better line. Dabo is talking way too highly of UTA players this week. <laughs> He is, you think he's got some brand new? I, I think <laughs> he's about to bust out on their ass. I think he's going to bust on their ass because I think people are, you know, oh, they play nobody and, you know, wakes nobody. And I, I really see this game somewhere in the neighborhood of like 55, 20. Okay. So, so I, like, I, like in the yeah. same rough ballpark as the bowl, as the uh, ACC yeah. championship game. Same ballpark. That was sixty-two seventeen. Yeah. So I, I said I, ballpark. I, just, <laughs> I mean, that's one of those games. Somewhere in the mid fifties to somewhere around twenty is what you're what you're going yeah, for. Yeah. But you know, the bowl game last, the, the the ACC championship game last year. Hey, Brian, if anybody had walked to you and said, "We'll give you UVA and forty-two points," you'd have been like, "Yeah, okay, that's cool." Yeah. You'd have been like, "Hey, you, no, no, no." Was my money, and you'd have been like, "Lord, I gave you six touchdowns, and you couldn't win." Yeah, I think ah. they're gonna store yeah. off. But um, uh, you might be right, man. You might be right. I don't know. You, you you're seeing Clemson having a heart. I see Clemson being heartless and trying to kill them. Uh, we will find out on Going Saturday. For style points. All right, Brian. Well, let's get out of the ACC. Let's drive way out west near the Salt Lake. Louisiana Tech, BYU. BYU is a 23.5 point favorite, 18 ranked. Louisiana Tech led by Skip Holtz. Um, always had success down there. Um, and Brian, since I left with you with the last one, I'm going to leave with this one. And I'm going to take Louisiana Tech on this. Okay. Um, not that I don't think BYU is a good team. 
Um, just some of the things Louisiana Tech does on offense is a little bit funky than what BYU has seen to this point. I really wish BYU would have played Army um, because I think that would have told us a lot more about BYU because if BYU kind of – if they did what Cincy did to them, you would be like, they're good, they're not great, um, but they're still a really good team. But 23-and-a-half is a ton delay. That is a Friday night game at 9 o'clock. Me and you will probably have to make a decision if we want to watch a lot of football Saturday to watch that game. (laughs) I probably definitely can't because my wife has given me permission. I'm playing around the golf Saturday morning, so I'm definitely not watching it. Well, if I can sneak her into the cave and put it up top, maybe I can BS that I want to watch some baseball too. What do you think? What do you got? BYU – I will, I will do a brief interlude here. I've been shit-talking him, like, ever since he left the Colts, but Pierre Desir just got a pick six. Okay. <laughs> so that game uh, is a two-point conversion away from being a tie at 27 apiece. Wow. Well, the over is done. Or the obliterated. Under, yeah, the over um, obliterated. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll get back to my, uh, my LaTeX BYU pick here. Um, I'm going to take BYU. I, I liked what I saw from them in the highlights from last week and some of the – I watched a little bit of the first half. Um, so I, I like what I'm seeing from them. I think they're going to be able to pour it on, um, similar to what they did last week, even with LaTeX bringing something a, a little different to the table. So give me BYU. BYU putting it on there, laying the 23.5 points. Yes, sir. All right. Brian, let's go to Tuscaloosa. We'll let you leave with this one. Texas A&M, Alabama. Um, Bama blows the doors off Missouri last weekend. No shot. Texas A&M only wins by five against Vandy. What you got? Give me Bama. That's a that's a twenty one point game. Uh, I'm with you on Bama. I think. It's cool. <laughs> um. And I think it's – and I'm, I'm going to continue to throw him under the bus because of, you know, what's Keep happening. the Jimbo slander rolling. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I know it was their first game. It was Vandy's first game. Vandy had some of their better players opt out. And you're here with Kellen Mond and a boatload of talent, and you beat them by five? And I know some people are going to bullshit and say, well, they didn't want to show Bama the whole playbook. Dude, you should not have to choke anything to beat Bandy by more than five points. Truth. Bama. And and I'll say it again. I mean, you know, Vandy has a lot of similarities to what – to Duke's program. I mean, and I'd say even in in some cases a little bit of a a lesser competition. I really think that – a&M just really kind of shit the bed a little bit and let them hang around a lot longer than they should have. And I think Bama's going to be ready and jump over them. And it, it's it's going to be kind of a big uh, big margin early. I think A&M maybe does a little something to get it back to maybe a two-touchdown game, and then Bama closes them out in the fourth. All right. EBF 3.30 for that one. Um. Hopefully I'll be watching it. Hey. It will be on one of the little screens. All right. Let's go to this one. This is going to be 
High noon kick in Big 12 country. TCU Texas at Texas. This is going to be, I believe, on Fox. So is this game doomed to get canceled like every other damn big noon game has been canceled on Fox, potentially. <laughs> but TCU made it this far. Made it this far. That's good. TCU Texas. Texas laying 11 and a half points. Texas literally with a freaking miracle win last week against Texas Tech doing some unbelievable things in the last few minutes there. TCU took a loss on the road at Iowa State by field goal. Um, you know, and that that was a good competitive game back to back. They, you know, they scored the touchdown really late that, you know, pulled them to within three. But who you got here, Brian? Oh man. Is is this kind of the game that we like yeah, if if Texas wins it, are they gonna say that Texas is back? Like <laughs> we hear it every year, man. We know it we know it's gonna eventually come. Fuck it. TCU wins outright. Ooh, TCU wins outright. Um I don't know if they're gonna win outright, Brian. But I'm going to agree with you that they're going to at least be within 11 and a half. I mean, clearly we saw last week that against a against a good Texas Tech offense that the Longhorns are hemorrhaging points, where TCU played a very good Iowa State defense and put 30 plus on or put 30 plus points on them. I think. Man, yeah, TCU with the points. I, 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 I'm going to see them covering that. Um, you're calling outright win. Yeah. And play the money line. Let me just, you know. I'm trying to get Tom fired. <laughs> I don't know, man. Tom gets fired and, you know, we go win the ACC. Them, them bastards are liable to sneak up into Blacksburg. <laughs> Here's $200 million to be our coach. And if that happened, then, yeah, that's tough to turn down. It's true. It's All true. right. All right. Final game, definitely the biggest game of the weekend. Number four, Georgia. Number eight, Auburn between the hedges. Saturday night, ESPN, 730. Georgia is laying. Let's see. You put the line in here a few minutes ago. Six and a half. Brian, you led the last one. I'm going to leave this one. And I told you earlier this week, and I'm still sticking by this. This is a smelly-ass line. Yep. Smelly-ass line. And I'm trying to figure out why it's so much when we saw Georgia with our own eyes in the first half against a terrible Arkansas team look like bulldog shit. Literally look like bulldog shit. And they come back and win – and then we see Auburn, who's playing, as we know from the bowl game, a very solid Kentucky team, really good defensively. Terry Wilson's back. Offense isn't never going to probably be exactly what it is. They lose 29-13. In the line six and a half Georgia, if you asked me after both those, I would have been like, that's going to be like a two and a half, maybe a three-point line, but it's six and a half. And I, I know JT Daniels, they say, is back. Transfer from USC. Got got approved in like two weeks by the NCAA. 
But this is a tough one, man. And I'm going to say this. I I think it's going to be a war. I think Georgia is going to win in the last few minutes of this game, but they're not going to win by more than a touchdown. Give me Auburn. Give me the six and a half points. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm right there with you, man. This this thing's like, does Vegas know that Auburn's going to be missing someone that we don't know about? (laughs) Exactly. Bo Nix and the the stud wide receiver are both out. Well, shit. Man. If if you'd have said like two and a half, maybe even three and a half, Ugga, I might would have said, all right, cool. But six and a half just feels. (sighs) Yeah. Um. Man, you know, just for shits and giggles, I'm going to take Georgia to see if I can gain a game on you here. <laughs> just for shits and giggles. Yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be it's going to be a one score game. I think Ugga might squeak by, but I'm going to say they squeak by on a late touchdown versus a late field goal. So let's go Ugga. Let's go Ugga, huh? All right, and as we already stated earlier, our prediction for the Virginia Tech and Duke game, Brian says 42-20. I say 41-24. Um, Brian, what did you smoking this weekend? Man, I went to Aldi. They had some, uh, some sirloin roast mm-hmm. on sale, so I got a couple of those bad boys. Going to sear them off, then – Leave them at 225 for about an hour and a half, then just close the dampers and let them get up to about 130, okay. and uh, then slice them up. So it's gonna be gonna be some good eats. Um, probably we'll come up with something to do sidewise to kind of kind of company there, but uh, maybe some potato skins or something like that. So should be some good eats for uh, for game day, man. I'm looking forward to it. Very nice, man. Anything breaking other than San Diego hit another home run in the bottom of the eighth, and now they're up 11 to eight. Hey. Wow. Uh, we, we actually got a good game on Thursday night despite the 2-0-3 matchups here, so uh, I, I'm happy. I'm, I'll it's, take it's it. People that, like, say this is a terrible game no one will watch, which is going to be worth, that's what happens. You get a highly entertaining football game on Thursday nights and, you know, for those people out there who are celebrating the down ratings for certain sports, well, here's my piece on that. And, you know, go out a little bit out of the box for it. One thing that you're probably seeing any downward trends in ratings as it's been going for the last few years is streaming services. I stream, you stream, my neighbor to my left streams, my neighbor down the street streams. The other piece is this. If games are getting hit, you're seeing an abundance of sports on TV at any one period of time. Last night, yesterday, you had eight baseball games along with the NBA Finals. The NBA Finals were, is Miami, L.A. The biggest L.A. team played last night, baseball-wise. And as much as you want to knock the Miami Marlins, they played last night against Chicago. So... You know, there's going to be people in those markets who could be fans of both that are going to go with one or the other. 
Yeah. And so the people to go out there, especially if you're in the business of sports media, attacking and shitting on these ratings, you're a real moron. You essentially I, want yourself to be out of a job. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say this because I mean, I'll say this and this is showing our consistency here. We said the same thing when the media was saying there shouldn't be any false force. And we're saying the same thing now. Why are people in the media essentially trying to manufacture their own demise with these doom and gloom situations? I, 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 I can't, I can't get, get away from it, man. Um, any, anyone that's out there actively cheering for sports to have low ratings so that their political opinion looks more favorable, like, what, what are you doing, man? Like, Brian, I want you to do something. You've done this as long as I've known you. What's the line from Gilbert Godfrey in Problem Child? You're a moron. You're a moron. You know what you are? A moron. <laughs> and with that, that wraps up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Please follow us on Twitter, Facebook. Subscribe to us for you for, for on your favorite podcast subscription, including Spotify and Apple. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for listening. And as always, let's go. Okies.